0: You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Come on, somebody, put your hands together for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy, amen? Come on, you can do better than that. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord? Hallelujah. Amen. I'm excited to be here for the very first time at Elevation Community Church. You guys got an amazing church. Um, I felt the love of Jesus for sure when I walked through the doors. Um, And give God some praise for your awesome pastor, Pastor Phil Nelson. Amen. I'm ready to get right into the word of God. I'm preaching something different than I did at the first service. So um, I ask that you're praying for me. And, uh... If you got your Bible, turn with me to second Kings chapter four, going to begin reading at verse one, and we're going to go to verse seven, a lot of scriptures, and then Matthew chapter six, we're going to marry those two verses, so second Kings chapter four, verses one through seven, and then put a mark there, and then leap to mark Matthew chapter six, and we're going to begin reading at verse six, and. Just thank God for Pastor Phil and his lovely wife. They've just shown me excellent hospitality. and I got excited to see my spiritual father, Pastor Todd Smith. I'm excited about that. He sends his love. He's excited about being here. And I will be back with you all on the second. Um, and while you're going to that scripture, just want to cover a couple of uh, books. If you have time, stop by the tape table and invest in yourself. This is Igniting Revival Fire. This is just a book about um, seeing spiritual hunger and revival in your personal life. It's a devotion. Um, There are 70 authors, including myself, Sid Roth, Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, Todd Smith, Roberts Lairdon, John Kilpatrick, David Hogan, and many, many more. Um, It's an amazing book, and it's only like four more back there. So check that out. And then um, also a book God allowed me to write, Supernatural Power of Tears. And um, this book is about brokenness, but it's really about um, the impact of our tears as it relates to our prayer life. It's about prayer. It's about intercession. Has anybody ever cried before? (laughs) Amen. So it tells you about how valuable your tears are to heaven. Bible says that every one of our sorrows has been recorded in God's book and all of our tears have been bottled. And uh, I'm not a seer. I don't know if you guys are, you know, anybody in here is a seer. Um, But God allowed me to write this book. And I got this whole book in one minute of a download while I was in prayer. So I never had writer's block. I never thought about this book. I never even thought I would write a book. And just in prayer, this entire book was downloaded, every chapter, all of the revelation. Now, one of the books, I believe is chapter nine, is called The Tear Room in Heaven. And when I came out of that prayer time with the Lord, I knew that there was a literal tear room in heaven. And um, I I didn't know the details of it, but it was in my spirit. So I said, God, I don't know how to write about that. If you want me to write about it, I need to see it. Somebody say, you can ask God. And so I wrote the whole entire book. And of course, I never went to the tear room. And I said, God, no, I'm not gonna, I don't want to write about it just off of Revelation. I actually want to go there, and I actually want to experience it, and I actually want to see it. You know, I know some seers, so I said, I will send them <laughs> if you don't let me go. And uh, the last day I wrote in the last chapter, that night, I actually got to visit that room in heaven. And so um, that chapter by Revelation and experiential knowledge, somebody say experiential knowledge. It's in this book, and um, I believe it'll be a blessing to you. So go ahead and get that on your way out. Um, Second Kings chapter four, verse one through seven. It says. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. Verse 2, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Somebody say, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you. Somebody say, shut the door behind you. Shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. Verse 5. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Verse seven, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your son will live off the rest. And I read this scripture, and I've preached this before, but Pastor Phil, when I read it this time, I don't know, I guess because I'm in personal revival. I don't know. It's because my prayer life has been ignited, but all I could see when I read this scripture was prayer. Somebody say prayer. So this brings us to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll see the connection. It says, Jesus, this is in red, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut The door. Somebody say, shut the door. Pray to thy father, which is in secret and thy father, which is which seeth in secret, shall reward you openly. Spirit of the living God, do what only you can do, not by might and not by power, but by your spirit. God, we just thank you for this word, which is a lamp to our feet as we sow this seed, which is your word, I pray that it would fall on the hearts of your people, that it would fall into good ground and yield fruit in due season. In Jesus' name, amen. For the next few moments, I just want to talk from the subject based off the text, miracles behind closed doors. Somebody say miracles behind closed doors. And so when we talk about this text today, it's talking about a story of a widow. Her husband has died. And I really believe that the essence and the juice of this really abstractly is talking about prayer. Um, When we talk about prayer, if we're going to ever apprehend the things of God, if we're ever going to get to a place of purpose, if we're ever going to see the will of God come to pass in our life, it will never happen for us apart from prayer. I know that a lot of people have adopted a lazy mentality of Christianity. I hear it all the time. I come in contact with it all the time. Well, God is sovereign, and if God wants me to have it, then God will give it to me. If God desires it, it just will be. But that is actually not scriptural, and that is not the way that the kingdom of God operates. Somebody said, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, in Psalms chapter 115, verse 16, watch this. It says that the heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. Did you catch that? He said the heavens belong to the Lord. It says, but he has given the earth. Somebody say the earth. That's where we are. He said he's given the earth to all humanity. This also is in total alignment with Genesis chapter one. He creates Adam and Eve, and he places them in the garden, and then he gives them authority. Somebody say authority. He said, you reign, you rule, you subdue, and you have dominion over the earth. So you see a common theme. Is God sovereign? Yes, God is sovereign. But God doesn't just do things. God doesn't just throw his trump card around and say, this is the way it's going to be. He doesn't directly control earth in that way. He does it through humanity. He does it through his sons and daughters. You know, if, if God was directly controlling everything, we wouldn't see a lot of the drama and the mess that we see in the earth. Ultimately, it is up to us as believers to begin to pray and to exercise the will of God so that we will see his will come to pass in the earth. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So he's telling the believers that you have to superimpose heaven to see the will of God come to pass in the earth. Somebody say, we got to pray. Yeah, yeah, we got to pray. And so when you look at it, God has given us that authority as believer. He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He says, whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Somebody say, that's a lot of power. He says, listen, when you begin to speak things and command things to happen with authority, you legislate on the earth. Heaven will back you as long as it's in alignment with the will of God. So the issue that we see in the church is that a lot of believers don't pray. A lot of believers don't pray. We get get to the place where we believe prayer is a chore or prayer is a spiritual discipline. Or prayer is something that we do because it's right. But prayer is literally communication with your father. It's literally sending and receiving information. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 16, that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. Somebody say availeth much. That word effectual fervent, it literally means the active operative prayer of the righteous has much strength, force, and ability. If you want your life to be forceful, start praying. If you want your family to be forceful, start praying. If you want uh, to make progress and apprehend your God-given destiny, start praying. Somebody said we got to start praying. And so Wesley, Wesley says, he's a commentary, he says, it seems as though God is limited Now, we know God is not. But if you look at everything that's happening, you'd be like, God, why don't you flex? God, why don't you do something? Wesley said, listen, it seems like God is limited. Now, we know intelligently he's not, right? I mean, God is sovereign, right? He's all powerful. But listen, one thing God won't do is violate his own word. God is sovereign. So he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants, with whomever he wants. But one thing he will not do is violate his own legal entities. So for us to say God is not involved does not take away from his godness. He set it up that way. That's what he imputed through his word. And heaven and earth will pass away before uh, his word doesn't stand. He'll watch over his word to perform it. And so ultimately, if we want to see the will of God come to pass in earth, we have to pray because spirits don't even have legal access in the earth. That's good or bad. So if you got something, you know, brewing in your house and something's blowing and it's a ghost or something and it's weird, it happens. If something like that happens, like you have authority to tell that to stop and to leave in the name of Jesus. Now, in the same way the enemy doesn't have legal access, the spirits, they have to use things. They have to, they have to channel through things. So they need a body or they can uh, go in pigs. Jesus cast the demon into the pigs. They can go in animals. They can get into the elements or the weathers. We see that all throughout the Bible: Charms, amulets. God is the same. I know. That's rough, y'all. God is the same. We don't look at it like that because we're like, well, he's God. He can do whatever he wants, but he doesn't because he gave us his word. This is why Jesus had to become flesh incarnate. People are like, why did Jesus go through all that? Because he had to come through the womb of a woman. He had to do it legally. So he had to be birthed into the earth and he had to have a body prepared. And so when we look at prayer, somebody say prayer, prayer is the vehicle that the will of God will ride into the earth. It is up to us as believers to begin to pray. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verses 13 to 16. It says if I shut up heaven that there be no rain or if I command the locusts to devour the land or if I send pestilence among my people. If my people which are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. He says then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I'll heal their land somebody say we got to pray and so so when you look at prayer he says listen the first thing he says if my people somebody say if my people the word if is always conditional so he says if my people which are called by my name anybody been called by God's name He said, listen, if you will just humble yourself. So he says, listen, the first thing you got to do is you got to lower yourself under the mighty hand of God. He says you got to get in a position in a low place. The river flows to the low places. So he says you got to get low. He says you can't just stand up in your own strength with your chest bowed out like I can do this. It's me. It's me. He says you got to humble yourself and get low before the Lord in a position of brokenness in a position of humility like God I need you. God I need you for everything that I need to accomplish in life. I can't do it on my own. It's in you that I live, that I move, that I have my being. I need you to be a good father. I need you to be a good mother. I need you to be a good son. I need you to raise my children. I need you for my next breath. I need you to preach this sermon. He said, listen, if you lower yourself, he said, he'll exalt you in due season. So when you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, somebody say, humble yourself. He says, and then start praying. So one of the mechanics to prayer is humility. He says, if you humble yourself and pray, then watch this. He says, then seek my face. That's what we were talking about in the first service. He says, seek my face. So literally that means pursuing his presence. He says, you got to seek my face. And that means repeatedly going back. It's not just going in one time. It's like as if I lost a quarter diamond out of this ring on this stage and I literally just turned everything upside down. And I looked everywhere pursuing and trying to find a quarter diamond. He said, that's how you have to pursue his presence. You don't leave any stone unturned. So many people want God to just fall on them. He says, no, pursue me. Somebody say, pursue him. So he said, if you would seek my face and then watch this, this is a big one. He says, turn from your wicked ways. He says, you got to turn from your wicked ways. So it's not just saying, I'm sorry. It means to repent. It means to go in a different direction. He says, if you turn from your wicked ways, he says, then I'll hear from heaven. He says, I'll forgive your sins and I'll heal your land. Somebody said, We gotta pray. And so when you look at this text, Miracles Behind Closed Doors, you've got this woman who is a widow, and her husband studied under Elisha, literally. They had something called the School of the Prophets. And literally, they would learn prophetic training. He would go around and he would serve. Doesn't tell us his name or any details about what his job was. But the Bible tells us that he was a godly man. Now, I had to relook at this because I was like, God, no, he wasn't. Somebody say, stop judging. (laughs) Listen, I'm real big as a man on providing for my family and making sure they good. Listen, if if you are called to cover your house as a husband you provide for your family financially mentally emotionally and in presence i looked at this text and i'm like the kids are about to get sold to creditors he was not saved something wrong with this picture But you can't judge it because you don't know if they hit a crisis. You don't know if something happened at the last moment that caused everything to fall apart. But what we do know is she says to Elisha, you know, my husband feared the Lord. She said he was your servant. Somebody say your servant. And she said that he feared the Lord. So the Bible said it and that's what it is. So something happened tragically that put the family in a bad condition because the Bible says, if a man don't provide for his own house, he's worse than an infidel. If, if you're a man a husband, and husband, you're not providing for your house. And I'm not talking about a tragedy happen. I'm talking about, you just don't want to work. That ain't no man. That's an infidel. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> I like y'all. Y'all are good. So, the creditors are coming to take the boys as compensation or in exchange for the debt that's owed. Number one, and I'm, a, I'm gonna give four or five points. Number one, focus on the presence in spite of the problem. So, she got a problem, y'all. You know? Somebody say she got a problem. They're about to take her kids. She's got a problem, and she doesn't curse God. She doesn't denounce her faith. She doesn't say, God, you're not real. How could you let this happen to me? My husband served faithfully, and you let this happen to my kids? What kind of God are you? You know, we talk crazy when problems happen. I'm telling you, heat and tribulation will expose what's in your heart. She didn't curse God. She didn't throw a fit. She took it to the man of God. And Elisha was a bad boy. He was a real deal. Parted the waters, the the river, raised the dead. He had a double portion anointing from Elijah. She takes it to him and she doesn't focus on the problem. She's focusing on the presence. And literally, verse 1, she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know he revered the Lord but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys. Listen, problems in your life are not an indication that God's presence is not with you. Oftentimes we feel like if God is with us and he's for us, everything should be good and we shouldn't have problems. But I told him in the first service, listen, faith doesn't prevent life from happening. Life will just happen. Whether you're saved, whether you're unsaved, whether you're a believer, whether you're not a believer, life happens. You can't stop life from happening. But it's your faith that's going to carry you through when life happens. Okay? So she focuses on the presence in spite of the problem. Number two, focus on what's left and not what's lost. It comes from... The second verse, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Somebody said, what do you have in your house? Okay, so that's actually talking about you. What do you have in your house? She focuses on what's left and not what's lost. Your servant has nothing there at all. Okay, so that's a contradiction because she has something but she doesn't value or understand the worth of what she's already possessing. Listen, what you need right now is already in you. Don't discount or devalue the presence of God in your life. She says, I don't have nothing at all, but watch this. Except somebody say, except a small jar of oil. That's the Holy Spirit. Yes. It is. Yes. Oil is always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I don't have anything. Somebody say she got something. She got <laughs> Except a small jar of olive oil. Now this is amazing because sometimes you know we don't we don't know God, right? Nobody said nothing. They said I know him. We don't know. We know him on a surface level. We don't know the depth of God. I talked about it last service. The Bible says that Israel knew God's acts, which were the people of God. But they only knew his acts. Moses actually knew his ways. So it's a difference. Know in that sense means intimately. It means the same word in Hebrew, When Adam knew Eve, they conceived Seth. It's the same word. So you got to know God through prayer, through fasting, through intimacy, through spending time with him. And people say, oh, well, the Bible says, well, I know I'm saved. Well, of course we know you saved. Jesus did that. You accepted him. You're good. But we're talking about intimately. The Bible says my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they will not follow. Here's the key. And they know me. And they know me. Some people are like, well, I'm saved. I know the Lord's voice. I heard that a thousand times. Well, there's no fruit in your life that supports that. I'm, listen, if you don't bring me back, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> listen, I know the Lord's voice, I'm saved. Because they just read, My sheep hear my voice, and the stranger they will not follow. But then he says, and they know me. Same word. No, intimacy. When Adam knew Eve intimately, they conceived Seth. Fruit came as a result of intimacy. Okay. So here's the deal. It's just like when my son, my son Jackson's in kids church, my daughter, Chloe, and my wife, they preaching back at home. And here's the deal. When we brought our kid, we'll just say Chloe, when we brought her home from the hospital, y'all know when y'all have them babies and they newborn that they like their eyes, they don't follow you. You can do this and they don't, no, the mall is open, but ain't nobody shopping. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you follow them and they just looking straight. and You're like, they can't see my baby blind. Somebody say they just got to develop. They just got to develop. So you move and they can't see, but you know, you talk and they don't turn their head. They don't respond. I was like, there's something wrong. We got to take it back to the store. My wife's like, calm down. Everything's fine. They'll be normal again. Here's the deal. It took a period of time before our children developed a sensitivity to our voice. It took a period of time before they got our voice print. Now, let's look at it like this. We're, my last name is Sniggrass. Were they really Snodgrasses? Yeah. Were they born? Yeah. Were they legitimately our children? Oh, yeah. I made them. But they still didn't know our voice. It took a while before they developed our voiceprint through a sensitivity. How did they get that voiceprint, and then how was it that probably just six months later, they could be at playtime with 20 other kids, and I could say, Jackson, come here, and they put their head up and turn around. How is it that they knew now in a keen sensitivity to his father's voice? It's because they had been in my presence. They knew me. It's no different with us in our relationship with God. What you do with your relationship with God is on you, but it really is developed through intimacy and prayer. Somebody say we got to pray. Okay, so focus on what's left and not what's Loss. You look at it and we think of God as this big bad judge who's not really for us, who's gonna condemn us. He's gonna really be mad if we mess up. Listen, if you don't know anything else, you need to know that God is for you. Somebody say he's for you. God is for you. He's not angry at you. He's not upset with you. He's not mad. Jesus took the punishment for sin and death. So sin has been dealt with in Jesus. So because we accepted Christ, we're always in right standing with God, always. Even when you sin, you are positionally right because when he sees you, he sees the blood. But when you sin, it takes you out of fellowship with God. So it's a communication gap because you're positionally right. You're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, but now you're relationally off. So although you're still a son, you know, Jackson, he's seven out. he has been kind of wilding out lately at school, seven. The teacher told him to get off the swing and he told her no. And they start going back and forth with each other. I said, are you crazy? Who raised you? You can't go back and forth with no teacher. He said, well, she made me mad. I said, boy, listen. Okay, you're going to make me come out. They're going to have a problem. Don't you ever do that again. Now, even though we put him on punishment for, like, a month, he was still a son. He was still my son. He still was a Snodgrass but he was not in good standing with me. I needed him to repent, and I needed him to change his behavior. Just telling you. We think God is not for us. We think God is against us, and we think when we make mistakes and we fall down, God is just waiting to kick us like an angry judge with a gavel. That's how I was trained. That's how I believed my whole life, scared of God. Really, I was, Pentecostal. (laughs) I'm telling you just pray for me. I made it out alive. Somebody say he made it. <laughs> I got my mind and everything. Everything's good. But, but here's the deal. Thank God for my teaching. I'm just joking. Thank God for my teaching. Thank God for my training brought me to where I am now. But here's the deal. God is not mad at us. God is not angry with us. And oftentimes we think that because we've made mistakes and we've created some of the situations that are taking us under that God won't be there for us, or he won't rescue us out of those problems. We don't know the exact details surrounding the text today, but whatever it was, it was a result in part of what they had done, but God is still about to get them out of their calamity. Listen, God will use you to be a part of the solution to the problem You had a hand in creating. God will use you. Somebody say he'll use you to be a part of the solution to the problem you had a hand in creating. God wants to use you. He doesn't just want to give you a miracle. He doesn't want to drop heaven in your home. He wants to actually mature you and develop you because watch this. If God changes your life without changing you, you will find yourself in the same problem very soon. Good teaching. Jesus wants to make your life better, but he also wants to make you better at life. Same concept as if you, you can teach a man how to fish or you can give him the fish. Don't give him the fish. He's going to be coming the rest of his life, dependent on you. So ultimately, she's involved in her miracle. Somebody say she's involved in her miracle. When everything is lost, remember this, the Holy Spirit did not leave you. And if you recognize the Holy Spirit didn't leave you, he'll begin to lead you. Number three, face your fear. Somebody say face your fear. We're getting through it. Face your fear. Number three, before God removes the problem, he wants to remove the fear. We let situations intimidate us and cause anxiety and cause uh, stress, cause duress, cause worry. Before God removes the problem, he wants to remove the fear. Somebody say he wants to remove the fear. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Somebody says sound mind. That means peace in your heart. That means rest in your soul. That means that it's a place of rest and quietness in Him. See, when you got peace when you really understand peace it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside as long as you got something on the inside as long as you got a deep fountain, a deep well of life if you got rivers of living water flowing out of your belly, nothing can take your peace, come on, a bill collector can't take your peace, somebody talking about you can't take your peace somebody cutting you off on the highway can't take your peace, a doctor telling you gonna die can't take your peace somebody telling you you can't have children can't take your peace why because you live in a higher place than a natural state you live in an ascended place which is the place that we are kept in Christ you live in a place that is elevated and above anything else that's why it keeps us in perfect peace it's a complete state of rest and quietness in him somebody say we need peace Okay, so watch this. Before God removes the problem, he wants to remove the fear. Why does God want to remove the fear, and what does it have to do with this text? This is what is happening. This woman has these people coming to get her kids. Now, listen, if you want to see somebody go crazy, mess with their kids. Now, I'm like the nicest guy, but if you want to see a demon going crazy. All bets are off. We we just, I'm telling you, God's still working on me. I ain't made it to heaven yet. Look, I'm positionally right. (laughs) So we're going to handle that, and then we'll be back to the gospel. Now, God wants us to protect our families. You mess with my kids, it's on. Here's the deal. When you look at Facing your fears. This woman's children is about to be taken from her. She said the creditors are coming. And she needs a plan of action. And I think, first of all, the practicality of God is amazing because we look at God as not relatable. We look at God as mystical. You can't understand him. He just doesn't just drop heaven on her. Just doesn't give a miracle. The Shekinah glory cloud doesn't show up and everybody's floating around the house. Like he's like, get to work. He really actually basically gives her a business idea. God. And some people don't think God moves like this. I'm going to tell you, He gave her a business idea that solved her problem and changed her economy. Her economics were changed. Her wealth status was changed in one moment. Watch this. The thing is, this God dealt with her fear. Now, how did God deal with her fear? Because the issue is sometimes God is not always so sensitive to how we feel. A lot of times, I mean, he doesn't come across and be like, well, they're going to think this is bad, so I won't do it. He don't be like that. He just does what he's going to do. Be like, I'm God. Now, that's when he throws a trump card. Are you going to obey or not obey? Are you going to be in faith about it or be in fear about it? The issue is this. The creditors are coming and God tells her, go borrow. I was like, that ain't God. Be like, God, ain't no way. I'm not borrowing no more money. I'm not borrowing anything. Borrowing is what got us in this mess in the first place. Don't you know he could have solved the problem any other way? And he literally goes for the very thing that is the biggest issue. Kids are about to be taken because they borrowed. I'm not doing that. Somebody said, I ain't doing it. We are. Listen, God gave you the answer. Now we're going to pray. We're going to pray about it. So God deals with her fear because now she has to trust God in spite of her own issues, in spite of her own experiences of her past. She's got to trust God because he's dealing with this fear. But God wants you to deal with the fear because he doesn't want fear to control us. Fear is like faith, but in reverse. Fear is like faith, but it's in the opposite. They both attract. So ultimately, you always have a choice in life on whether you're going to get in faith or whether you're going to get in fear. Ultimately, you have a crossroad. And the Bible says, behold, this day I set before you, life and death, blesses and curses, choose life that you may live. Ultimately, whether it's fear or faith, you are putting your confidence in something that has not manifested or materialized. Whether it's fear or faith. If you're in faith about something, you haven't seen or experienced it in a tangible way yet. You're believing for it. If you're in fear about something, it hasn't materialized either. You're in negative faith about something that may never happen. So if you're going to have to put faith or expectation or belief in something that's not happened, I'm going to go with the positive all day long. Listen, what do you lose? At least you felt good and you weren't controlled by a menacing terror, and then it never even happened. Or you're in faith and you believe and you were optimistic, you were left feeling good, optimistic and hopeful in God. And then say something bad happened. Well, if it happened, listen, fear wasn't going to make it not happen. So you felt good all the way to it, and you're just going to deal with it, and God's going to bring you through it. Faith is a win-win. Okay, number four, I choose faith. Secret place is the secret to God's success. I choose faith. The secret place is the secret to God's success. Somebody say God's success. Okay, so when you look at it, it says, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it aside. Now, this is where we get into the secret place because he says, and I think it's interesting, it is not a coincidence. I'm not grabbing at straws. This is significant. He tells her, in order for you to see breakthrough in your life, I'm going to give you these instructions to get a lot of empty vessels. He was like, but once you get the empty vessels, he said, go into your house, you and your sons, and shut the door behind you. Whenever you talk in that language, it's always talking about prayer. It's always talking about secret place because the place of prayer, one of the keys is, to close the distractions in your life. See, we got too much clutter. We've got too much chaos. Clutter comes from a word that literally means clot. It's like getting a blood clot. It'll kill you. It'll absolutely kill you. And we've got so much clutter in our heads, our kids, our spouse, our homes, our jobs, our careers, the economy, government, division, the church. Everything is going a thousand miles a minute. But he said, listen, you got to steal away in quietness. He said, I'm going to lead you beside quiet waters so you can rest. And you can plug in to the frequency of the spirit. Somebody say the secret place. Okay. So he says, listen, you got to get in the secret place. Shut the door behind you. This is what Jesus said. He says, listen, when thou goest into thou pr- uh, prayer, he says, when you go to prayer, he says, go into your closet. And when you shut the door behind you, pray to your father in secret. See, you got you to tune out the distractions of life. One of the biggest hindrances of hearing our father's voice is that we're not able to quiet ourselves. We're not able to quiet our souls. We're not able to be focused and dedicated to the things of God. You got to turn your phone off. You got to shut the computer down. All of those distractions, they're just hindrances. Amen. Biblically, you saw Jesus pray in the mountain. Yeah. Why did he pray in the mountain? Isolation, quietness, focus, wilderness, went into the wilderness to seek God. How many people go in the wilderness to seek God now? It was that deep. Jesus wasn't just like a wild man. He wasn't no John the Baptist, you know, locusts, eating locusts and wild honey. He said, no, I got to get in touch with my father. My uncle pastored, he would go into the wilderness to pray. One of the most powerful men, healed the sick, raised the dead multiple times, Document. My uncle, he would fast seven days straight, no eating, no drinking, and he would go with two deacons and they would pray in the wilderness, cut off from society. Secret place. Somebody say secret place. Okay, I got to wrap it up, but here it is. We got to empty our minds of life's problems so that God can fill it with his peace. Now, he says, gather up empty vessels, not just a few. Get as many as you can. He gathers the empty vessels, and they start pouring. They shut the door behind them. As they're pouring the oil, the oil begins to multiply. Somebody say it multiplies. The oil multiplies in the pouring. So even though she had a little bit of oil, if she just obeyed God, as she began to pour, all of the empty vessels were filled. Talk to the Holy Spirit in private, and you'll walk with the Holy Spirit in public. Good teaching. The Holy Spirit flows as we get filled, and fellowship will follow him. The flow of the Holy Spirit is proportional to our faith. The flow of the Holy Spirit is proportional to our faith. Why do you say that and where do you get that from, pastor? Because the Bible says that she got the empty vessels. She got the empty vessels. Give me another one. She's pouring. 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 And she continues to pour oil. Now watch this. She asked her son in the last verse, she said, give me another vessel. He said, ain't no more. Oil stopped flowing. Watch this. Do you believe that if she would have had more vessels, the oil would have kept flowing? The flow of the Holy Spirit, catch it, is proportional to our faith. As long as she had the room to receive the oil, as long as she had the capacity, the Bible says that God gives his Holy Spirit in Acts without measure. So he was willing to continue to fill the vessels as long as there was an increase of capacity. We need to ask God today, Lord, increase our capacity. Somebody say, Lord, increase our capacity. What is that? That's our faith That's our spiritual hunger. We need to ask God, Lord, make us hungry this morning. God, we're desperate for you. We're thirsty for you. We want more of your presence. Uh, We want more of your spirit. If you're giving your spirit without measure, let it fill us this morning. We need your spirit in our lives. Uh, We need your spirit in our churches. We need your spirit in our homes. We need your spirit in our country. God, we're inadequate without you. We need your very presence, God. So help us to seek you more. Help us to pray more. Help us to fast. Help us if we got to push a plate away, God. We want to be hungry for you like we've never known before so we can experience you like we never have before. Bible says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Somebody say, God, fill me. That's all I got. But the, the, the last thing is that We sell in public what flows in private. We sell in public what flows in private. He said, listen, after she shut the door, the vessels were filled. She had all this oil. He said, now go sell it and live off the rest. Sell it, pay your debt and live off the rest. We walk with the Holy Spirit when we talk with the Holy Spirit. You can't expect to move in power. You can't expect, you know, miracles to break out in your life. And I'm not just talking about healing the sick and raising the dead. I'm talking about moving and being a conduit for the Spirit of God to flow through. I'm talking about when people see you, they literally see God. I'm talking about you don't just pray, oh God, give my family member an encounter with you so that they'll give their heart to you. When they run into you, they just had an encounter. They understood. Man, I just bumped into God. Is this sacrilegious? No. Listen, we are his legal representatives in the earth. That means we represent God. Miracles behind closed doors. God wants to bless you, he wants to favor you, he wants to bless you and your family. I'm just gonna ask everybody to stand on your feet. I just wanna pray. Somebody give God some praise, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Spirit of the living God, we just thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path. Father, I thank you right now, God, that you're just creating, God, a habitation for your glory. I thank you, God, in the name of Jesus, that each and every one under the sound of my voice, you're imparting spiritual hunger to them this day, God. I pray that you are creating us, God. Uh, spiritual hunger and a depth in you that we've never known. Just like David said, creating us a clean heart. God, I pray that you would create in a spiritual hunger, God, that you would increase our capacity, God, that your oil would begin to flow in our life, God, in a way that we've never known before. Bless us to hide in that secret place. Bless us to be people of prayer, God. We know, God, that the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much, if we're going to see change, take place in the earth and in our churches and in our families and in our communities we have to be people of prayer so God we thank you and we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus name, Amen Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon if you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly impact Bible study podcast as well Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.